Well, hello, 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 listeners. Welcome to episode 16 of Cyber Warrior Princess. I feel like we need that theme song now, Vic. Where's the theme song? Oh, well, no, you're a bit too rock for me. I need to get a bit, um, I need to do like a Steve Tyler version of, of the theme tune, you know, because mine's, mine's a bit too kind of kooky and jovial. <laughs> For that, I think we're gonna no, we're gonna stick with you. And if you don't mind, I'm gonna do an out- outtake of that. Just you screaming, "Santa Warrior Princess!" You know, I think it's um, it's what the kids want to hear. Well, I seriously doubt that, but um, yeah, we'll leave it with them to listen or delete at their leisure. <laughs> we're gonna do a bit of shouting. We are gonna do a bit of shouting in this episode. Well, we do have um, to. We, we do have to every now and again, you know, let loose a bit of steam. And now, especially, I mean, now that we've been, we're, we're not supposed to call it social distancing now. Physically distancing makes it sound like a bad relationship, doesn't it? Makes it sound like I've been in a relationship. It's not going so well. I'm having to physically distance from them. What was it? What was it? Um, Gwyneth Paltrow said when she announced that she was separating from Chris Martin. Oh, conscious yes, uncoupling. Yes. Conscious uncoupling. Yes, that's what we're we're consciously uncoupling ourselves from our normal day to day socializations. <laughs> I'm a, as you know, Beck. I'm a bit of a warden Baines, and those of you who will have been following my social distancing enforcement on Twitter um, will know that I I'm actually thinking of putting myself forward to be the social distancing czar. I think I would. I think I would be the right person to get angry. Well, I'm already getting angry on a, a very routine basis at um, certain people who think that lockdown is over. So, so for the listeners, we're May the sixth recording this. Lockdown is not over. Nope. Um, I live in an area where the average population age is 65 years old. Average is 65 years old. I uh, am. Um, for a very, very long time, I'm still going to be one of the youngest people in the area. Yeah, get and that so in I'm, there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, very, I'm, I'm looking. So uh, what you can't see, what the listeners can't see, is that I've got a mirror in front of me and I'm looking at my grey roots right now. I've, I've got lockdown hair. Um, very, very lockdown hair. Um, but no, I'm genuinely concerned that um, round here people have given up. They've given up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think people are feeling comfortable, I think is what it boils down to. I mean, I can see that even where I live, obviously, and I, you know, I, I live in the greater London metropolitan area, and people just feel comfortable. I think, you know, the news is, it's just like what we see with data breaches. God, what a great correlation. It's just like oh, nice. people get, they get immune to it because they see the same horrible news time after time, day after day, and they become then immune to it. It's like, um, uh, oh God, my brain, I should have had more caffeine before we started this. It, 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 it's just an immunity, isn't it? It's almost like you need to hit them with something worse and more horrible in order to wake them up again for them to remember you know, the horror of the situation that we're in. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't mind immunity because immunity would at least give you some protection. But I wonder if this is just like desensitization. That's the word I was looking for. Yes, that's it to a T, of course. And it's that um, now now we've, well, this is, as you know, this is one of my favorite ranty subjects is looking (laughs) at 
um, how security issues are dealt with and how public health issues are dealt with and the rhetoric around that. And, you know, if we're steeping up, it ties in nicely with the conversation we had with Jess last time. If people are steeping up the fear and the sensation the entire time, then we're going to get fatigue. People are going to get desensitized. And I think that is a nice parallel to cyber because we've had years and years and years of this is getting worse. Yes. You know, that cybercrime is borderless. There's nothing you can do. Panic, scary guys in hoodies, cascades of binary, blue lights, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And <clears throat> so one of the things I've been thinking about and I've been writing about in my forthcoming book. God, I hope I finish this book because I have actually, I've touted it quite a lot. So if I don't finish it, it could be mildly embarrassing. <laughs> um, I'm looking at the, the issue of securitization, right? And that's two things. The first thing is taking something that isn't a natural security issue and making it a security issue, which we absolutely have seen with, uh, coronavirus and actually for really good reasons you know in a state of emergency like this yeah public health becomes a physical security issue for each and every one of us and about you know protecting um all of our um you know fellow citizens and fellow residents of of the uk but also it becomes about things like locking down borders and quarantining people that are coming into the country and and you know that's absolutely right but it also securitization is also partly about um you know if something is a security issue then it's kind of extraordinary it's kind of an emergency issue mm. but then that emergency that state of emergency can't last forever so, well, isn't, that, isn't know, that why they have the defcon settings right so the, right. the the defcon settings you know are only supposed to move once that sort of dial goes to the next extreme level but then they try and quickly get off of that so we don't become desensitized to it right exactly exactly and and the whole idea about a securitized or an emergency situation is that it's temporary Right. And so all of these states of emergency, and I think it's possibly one of the reasons why the media is so obsessed with, in the UK, when is the lockdown going to end? What's the exit strategy? Is actually that, it, in a way, it's quite well motivated, which is, you know, at, at what point are these emergency, extraordinary curbs on our privacy, on our, you know, freedom of movement, when are they going to end? Because we've got human rights. It's actually a curb on our human rights in a sense. Um, now, what we've seen in Hungary in the last couple of weeks has been quite concerning because Viktor Orban, the Hungarian uh, prime minister, he pushed a, a bill through um, parliament extending the state of emergency. Mm. And he can now suspend laws or create new ones at will. That's and scary he, can indefin- he can indefinitely rule by decree. How many times have we seen that go badly in history? <laughs> right. So, so Freedom House, the um, you know the kind of rights monitoring agency in Washington DC, has produced a report saying that Hungary is no longer a democracy. <gasps> I hadn't seen that. Really? When can that- yeah? Can. Yeah, it's the last last few last few days actually. I mean, there's he pushed through you know some of this uh, emergency legislation a few weeks ago, but yeah. there's been some kind of international observers and international media coverage in the last few days about the fact that that state of emergency has been extended. Um, 
And for me, that that really is, you know, the kind of the epitome of one of the aspects of securitization. And I should say that I, I didn't come up with this theory, securitization theory, nothing to do with financial options. If you work in finance, you will know that securitization is something else. But um, <laughs> it's, it's really a, um, the Copenhagen School of International Relations, um, particularly Ola Weaver and um, Barry Buzan and, and various other folks. And apologies if I've mispronounced your names, but I've been reading up on this stuff. Um, it, it is really focusing on, you know, the stuff that that shouldn't be security, mm. or at least if they, if it's going to be security, it should be a temporary measure and there should be an end to extraordinary circumstances. And actually that made me, so I've been looking at ancient representations of security, which in ancient Rome it's Securitas, hence the security firm's name, Securitas. And... <laughs> um, <clears throat> And even then, like 2,000 years ago, um, food was a matter of security. So security was quite often linked to representations of the grain supply to ancient Rome or the cornucopia or supply of food, you know. Um, So things that we wouldn't necessarily think of as being like security or defence, even 2,000 years ago, because it's about how secure we feel in our lives, the human security, the economic security – um, it's already there. But what, what I've been focusing on in the last couple of weeks has been the US national security strategy. Oh, and can that I help fasc- you? <clears throat> I know, right? So, But it's fascinating reading, not least because I'm delving into the language that they're using and the means that the, pres- the different presidents use to persuade us. It's funny. Honestly, it's really, really funny oh. to see that um, – George W. Bush thinks it's his God-given mission to bring freedom to the world, which is fantastic. Trump is just like, everything's so unfair, everything's so bad, but I have made America secure again. Um, (laughs) But when you look at somebody like Clinton or Obama, it is totally about, um, you know, bringing prosperity and sustainable development to the rest of the world you know, so it's like a kind of missionary zeal. And in a US national security strategy, they're securitizing things like family planning in the developing world is in the US national security strategy under Clinton of all of all presidents. Wow. That, yeah, that's surprising. I think it's fascinating, though, whenever you think about it in the context, I'm sorry, I'm still absorbing what you were saying about in Roman times, for example, and with the thought processes around the securitization of food. Have and I been like- ranting? Has this been Dr. Baines's lecture on ancient security? <laughs> hey, my brain is slow. I'm playing catch up, lady. <laughs> No, I was. Yeah, right. I, I, was, I was just thinking about that and and sort of that that mini whirlwind history tour. But looking from Roman times and then through to like you said with Bill Clinton, you know, and and the focus on his um, national strategy and then his outlook towards developing countries and 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 assistance and programs, I guess for them. But isn't it interesting then when you think about that in the context of? Food is no longer the priority, but it is still about the people. So in essence, really nothing has changed over those sort of what thousands of years. It's still the focus on protecting the people, taking care of the people, and I guess working to ensure for at least reasonable leaders, right? I'm not counting Trump in that, but <laughs> for taking care of, of, of the people that, that that, I guess, leader is responsible for. 
Yeah, right. And that that in itself, I would say, is a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because when we talk about security, we also have that feeling of, well, I feel secure when I don't have to worry about anything. And strangely enough, that's the roots of the word security. But if you are, say, curious, you are free from care. And there's all sorts of like philosophical roots to that. But, you know, that idea that, well, I could be free from care, but I could be free from care because I don't have any rights, because I don't get to choose anything, because I'm constantly under surveillance, you know. And and as you know, Beck, I like to read like dystopic novels <laughs> kind of at the minute. I'm I'm reading a book at the minute and it's um Yevgeny Zamyatin. It's a it's a book called We, right? And it was a a Russian author writing in the early 20th century. And he was actually the model for well, one of the inspirations for George Orwell's 1984. Mm. They're all these people are all free from care because their entire type daily timetable is mapped for them. You know, they even have their, they all go out for exercise at the same time of the day. They even have what's called the personal hour, which is when they get to have, you know, naughty time with their, <laughs> their, their chosen ladies and gentlemen. But it's all scheduled, right? That's freedom from care. And right. so the privacy advocates would say, well, security is great. But if it's, if it's not, if it's that feeling of not having to worry about anything, then we absolutely have to accept you know, constraints on our privacy, constraints on our freedom. And, um, you know, one of the things from a securitization perspective, one of the things that rang alarm bells with me over the last couple of days, not not because I think it's wrong, but I think we need to we need to be kind of alert to perhaps people bundling in um, the pandemic into security issues was that statement by the US Defence Secretary on, on Monday that um, Rome, uh, R- Rome, <laughs> ancient Rome, <laughs> is becoming a, it's becoming a threat again. No one saw it coming. Um, <laughs> that Russia and China are taking advantage of the COVID-19 pandemic to put their interests forward in Europe. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I, so I, I happened to see that article as well, and um, I – well, yeah, you and I talked about that one. Yeah, the um, I think the thing that frightens me a little bit about that, besides just being a complete weenie about nation state, talking about nation state anything, I constantly feel like I'm probably under some sort of surveillance, not because I'm important, just because, you know, Russians. <laughs> it's such a juvenile thing. When I was a child, my two biggest fears were nuclear war from Russia uh-huh. And stepping on a rusty nail. I can't remember if I've ever told you that or not before, but that's, those are my two biggest fears as a child in West Texas. So, <laughs> so, so why the rusty nail? Well, I lived in West Texas. We wore, you know, bare feet a lot in the fields and, and you know, there was a lot of lumber, I guess. I don't know. Tetanus shots. I was afraid but of tetanus shots. <laughs> but it's not because it's not because you'd seen a public information film about rusty nails that had terrified you or anything no, like I, that. I think it was this lore as a child around, you know, if you step on a rusty nail, you have to go to see the doctor and you have to get, you know, a tetanus jab. And I think it was this lore around the jab. They had to give it to you in the stomach. And it was just all this horrible, you know, kid talk. But those were my two greatest fears. And I think there's to a certain extent, I think some of the whole like fear of, of Russia was really, you know, I was scarred as a child, I think. There was a lot of, uh, you know, we used to hunker down 
and and find fallout shelters and things. You know, there's a lot of a lot right. of fear so kids grow up with. Well, exactly. So we've had very similar experiences, but in slightly different respects. Here we go. Remind me, remind me about thermonuclear war at at a certain point if we get off topic. We will. So <laughs> I I was injured by a bit of rusty wire when I was. <laughs> I think I was, I would think I was 12 or oh, possibly no. 13. Oh, no. And <clears throat> my elite upbringing, I was away at boarding school. <laughs> and we used to, we used to have to um, climb through a stile, you know, through a fence, um, through a field to go and we'd, we'd go and stand on the clifftop and wave all the cruise ships goodbye as they left Southampton. What a strange kind of Enid Blyton 1930s thing to do. Anyway. <laughs> That's what we used to do. And we'd we'd run, right? And I ran through the style, kind of, you know, you clamber through the the metal tubing and stuff, and there was a stray bit of barbed wire. And it um caught my back. Ow. And so I have a this is a bit more information than probably most listeners need, but it's tough. <laughs> We're there now. That's I have right. about I have about a three inch long scar down my back. Right. And the reason I mention this um, is I went to the school matron, who I hope she's not listening, because potentially this is vaguely negligent, I suppose. <laughs> um, I went to the school matron and I said, this has happened because it had ripped through my dress and everything, you know. Yeah. And she said, oh, no, don't worry about it. And I, the precocious child that I was, because can you imagine I was a precocious child? No, I um, don't see it at all. <laughs> I said, I said, but matron, don't I need a tetanus jab? And she went, nah, you'll be fine. <laughs> and she stuck a plaster on it. And then I had to go, I pro- in hindsight, I probably should have had stitches because it is quite a large scar. Oh, my um, God. But, yeah, so I, you know, I had clearly had the public information input about tetanus <laughs> to be able to go to matron. But my biggest fear as a child was absolutely nuclear war because um, – my mum, and she may be listening, and she's my mum is traumatised in later life by the trauma she may have put me through unwittingly. And one of these, one of these is um, I was a huge fan of, I uh, still am, of um, the Raymond Briggs children's books. I mean, he's still working. Yes, yes, um, yes. So this, the Snowman and Father Christmas, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Fungus the Bogeyman was a massive, a huge favourite of mine. <laughs> um, and uh, I think because it, in a way it was satirical because everything was upside down um, and everything was underground. But Raymond Briggs did um, a book called When the Wind Blows, all about um, the impact of a nuclear holocaust, the bomb going off and how an elderly couple deal with it. And it's hideous. Oh, my, my gosh. Mom, when I was six years old, gave me that book, oh, not my. having no idea. She had no idea. And so for the next few years, I actually oh. I actually spent that time. Could you, I'll tell you what, it's no coincidence that we both work in security, is it? <laughs> um, so Consider the similarities in these, uh, in these uh, childhood experiences, yeah. <laughs> I know. So I thought the two or three minute warning goes off, right? which toys am I going to take if I'm on my own oh yes 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 which toys am I going to take when I go and hide in the toilet (laughs) 
<laughs> was this the one with the dog and the stuffed animals? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I thought, I thought right, well, the, uh, I'm here with the dog. The dog's coming with me. <laughs> oh, my, oh, unsurprisingly, all my favourite toys were dogs and stuffed animals, exactly. So it's just like, you know, which ones? I've only got a certain amount of time. Which ones are coming with me? <laughs> For These the are important decisions. These are important decisions that, you know, should, but you know, what's funny is it's great to be able to talk back over stuff like this and remember what children, you know, what is meaningful to them and what sticks with them. And I know we've rambled quite far from where we started, but, and, and then I guess to try and map it back to sort of COVID-19 and then map it back into securitization. Um, it, I think it goes to show you how that fear and then that coping mechanism that comes off the back of that fear, how it changes us and how if you're under duress for too long of a time, right, that's when that impact becomes even stronger and lasts even longer. The duration, I guess, of the impact is longer. Yeah, and you end up, we can, there's a risk, I think, and I don't, I don't mean to scaremonger by saying this, I just want us to be alert to it, particularly the folks who work in cybersecurity and information security who, let's face it, we've all been guilty of doing the scaremongering and the fear factor stuff. And, you know, cybercrime is growing like never before. Your data has been exposed like never before. You know, mm. that actually if we keep ramping this up, then there is a risk that people are going to get a kind of PTSD mm. where every time they are faced with someone talking about a threat, that we end up on kind of high alert the entire time, but that we don't actually know what's sensible to do about it. So... Mm. You know, it's, it's a little bit similar to what we were talking about with Jess. We actually need to calm the heck down about, about some of this stuff. Mm. And that's where I, I actually, I understand why the US Defence Secretary is talking about, you know, all sinister machinations in foreign policy and Russia and China, you know, when they send in uh, the military and when they send in supplies to European nations, oh, that's insidious because they're, you know, they're getting in their influence. And then he, you know, he referred to Huawei again. And look, we absolutely need to be alert to the security risks attached to that. But equally, my concern is that it feels like everything's becoming a security issue now. Yeah, yeah. And I think we need to be alert to the fact that after this pandemic has started to die down and we start to come out of lockdown, there need to be certain things that stop being security issues. Yeah. But is that, a, so I think one of the questions I, I see, right, being discussed um, a lot and more frequently, I think, as time goes on, is, you know, will life return to normal? Will business be able to resume, quote unquote, normal, you know, types of activities? And I think as part of that, I guess, return to some sort of normal, I think we are going to see changes. And I don't think, I think, again, I think it's going to be the impact. So because we've experienced this for the duration that we have, we've seen such a large scale influence, not just globally in terms of scale, but in terms of the ramification across all of our lives. So everything from, you know, from your job to your social to, you know, even your groceries and how you, you know, navigate your day to day um, necessities, haircuts, I mean, for Pete's sake, you know. I, I think because we've seen scale of, of that magnitude as well, I don't see how we could return to normal from this, at least not anytime soon. Yeah. 
Can I ask you about your haircut? Are you the wild woman of Borneo right now? Hey, you know what? My wife gave me a awesome haircut about a week and a half ago now. We did uh, we did the old trimmer on the sides and back. Oh, excellent. I'm sporting a bit hey. of hipster hipster come over on the top. How are you? Put a bit, bit of, of gel. Hoxton. Yeah, they used to call that the Hoxton fin. About about <laughs> ten years, ten twenty years back, that was the Hoxton fin. I'm looking good though. And I'm sporting it. I'm looking younger every day. Because <laughs> in my mind, I don't know why, and I'm sure this is completely um, unfounded. In my mind, your hair grows up. Right? <laughs> and, and I'm because we haven't because we we don't see we're not we're not looking at each other. In my mind. You having not had a haircut is a bit like Sideshow Bob. Yeah, I don't know who Sideshow Bob is, but if he's dreadful, that would be me without a haircut. <laughs> from from the Simpsons. Oh, that. That's oh, oh, that. Oh, that Sideshow Bob. Okay, sorry. I thought this was some other English reference. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm always ready for the English ones. I don't know <laughs> from you. I was having a nice chat with um, Rick and Kasha Ferguson the other day. Hello, Rick and Kasha. And um, we were talking about, you know, our conference is going to go back to normal. Well, of course they're not, not in the short to midterm. Yeah. And, you know, um, we're going we're gonna to do that name drop again. You know, Kato Flaherty, she did that fantastic piece on um, it's slightly inappropriate behaviour in information security and um particularly some gentlemen that don't behave themselves at conferences mm. so we did we did say rick and kasha and i we said oh is there going to be a positive impact of covid19 on infosec in the sense that we're not going to have so many conferences or at least if we if we do they're going to be virtual for the foreseeable future right. which means there aren't going to be so many alcohol fueled receptions Mm, which point. means there's less opportunity for inappropriate behavior so we could get some kind of more respectful interactions out of this it, it is entirely possible it is entirely possible i think from the physical interaction um i definitely have seen a couple of things lately people talking on twitter about you know they're still and if not anything perhaps getting more but in um digital interactions you know, so yeah. where they're having people send inappropriate, you know, um, messages and DMs and whatnot. So I think that's always going to happen. And I think that as people are conference folks are, are virtualizing these events, I think they need to especially think about that and think about, you know, ways that members are able to message each other and the controls that are in place and whatnot. Yeah, um, but right. yeah, I definitely agree with you. We're going to continue to see a lot of these conferences um, either remain virtual or, um, you know, con continue to perhaps have a virtual component in conjunction with the physical one once we get back to that. And I think the reason for that is because they're seeing that they can reach a much larger audience. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if they can attract the same types of, um, you know, great content, great presenters, and do it at scale and put it in front of a global audience and then record it and rebroadcast it and, you know, reshare it, that yeah that that's just helping them you know marketing <laughs> loving them everything's uh, you know happy days um i definitely am not seeing a decrease i think there was a decrease initially because the <clears throat> when you know everything sort of went into lockdown mode and it was very uncertain um it, it all went quiet 
but now it's just yeah. picked up like crazy. I mean, I, yeah. I'm literally turning things. I probably turned down 10 things this week and, and things I can't even, I don't even have time to respond to people. Oh, you know, but you're so people. popular. You're so it's popular. Not, it's not about popular. You know what? I actually, no, no, no. It's not about popular. I actually had it told to me very plainly and, um, and it made a lot of sense. It's because I'm one of the few women in cybersecurity. And, oh, I know. I know. And, Have you seen? So, yeah, but we've got an event coming up, haven't we, where it's it's you, me, and Jess again. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fit, and I will continue to to open my big mouth and and to to help represent, you know, that um, aspect to it, I guess. But yeah, it sort of took the wind out of my sails a bit because I thought, you know, maybe. I don't, I don't know. God, My, I thought maybe I was saying, you know, things that were helpful and I don't know, people actually liked what I had to say. And then it was sort of that whole, you know, bit of doubt again, where you're like, Oh, they're just inviting me because I fit into that tick box, you know? <laughs> and so there is that, right. There is that, which is, um, yeah, we're at that. I know we've talked about this before, but because we're at that tipping point where people want a woman on the panel which is brilliant. At least people are thinking about that now. Yeah. People want a woman on the panel. Actually, <laughs> I could sing. I could get on a conference and I could sing, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually people, I suspect they'd care once I've done it. But in a way, you're absolutely right. There's there's not necessarily... A hu- as much focus on what we're going to say and what we're going to contribute. Um, I mean, there are some notable exceptions to that. And I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate to contribute to some events where, you know, you get to shape the agenda and you get to shape the objectives and the outcomes. And, and you know, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. But yes, um, we're still at that point, aren't we, where it's about what we are mm. rather than, what we've got to say and and um you know that that will change and and like i always say you know this the the women who are working in the industry who are younger than us will expect better than that and and that's brilliant because i'm looking forward to that time when you and i and jess and jane we will all be outnumbered and one of, you know, hundreds of women that can speak on this stuff. Well, we already are. I mean, that's the thing. Mm, Absolutely. You know, there are hundreds of women out there. And and I do try to pass things on to other women. I mean, I constantly am trying to find and, and, you know, share names of other people I know that can step into events or come to me and say they want to speak and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's just – it's still – it's, yeah. Why are we talking about this? I'm so annoyed with myself. That yeah, I, because, I tell you, I'm annoyed with you. I'm annoyed with you because, not because we're talking about it, because it's actually, however many times we talk about it, it's still important to talk about. Because even if, even if a month later we say, well, nothing has changed, that's important, right? But I'll tell you what I'm annoyed with you about. I promised that there would be shouting. I also threatened, <laughs> I threatened that there would be a game. So we're oh, going to finish yes. with the game. Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. And it's okay. called, it's called, and you have to refer to it in exactly this way. It's called Across the Nation. Right? Across across the Nation. Okay. Right. It's a game that my husband and I play. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I'm not going to be smart enough for this game. <laughs> no, no. You re- trust me, you really are. Um, it's a game that we play 
Anytime anybody refers to a noun that ends in the sound Asian, you know, A-T-I-O-N. Right. You have to shout, across the nation, right? So when I when we were thinking that we would talk about securitization across this, the this nation. episode, yeah. I the in my head, my little my little uh, my little human inside my head. As soon as I said the word securitization, my little human shouted, across the nation, right? <laughs> so you and I, we're going to play across the nation. <laughs> okay. Right? So I, I'll say a word. You can chip in whenever you like. If you think of a nation, if you think of a, an Asian word, <laughs> A-T-I-O-N, or, or variants that sound like that, you can chip in. What about made-up words? I think we should incorporate made-up words into this as well. Do you not, do you not know enough words, Ben? <laughs> I'm just thinking that's what security does all the time. <laughs> no, right? That's true. That's true. Right. So, so we'll, we'll just do we'll just do a test run, okay, Ben? So, operationalization <laughs> across the nation, right? But you've just you got you got ahead of yourself there because we've got to do the first one, which okay. is securitization. Across the nation. And no, that's not. I need more from you, Beck. I need more. I've got a house you know, you've got to sleeping children. It. I can't get too crazy well, over here. <laughs> just pretend you're shouting through a megaphone okay. to somebody in France. Okay, let's try it again. Right, securitization. Across the nation. Yeah, excellent. Oh, the, once we'll do another one with feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just the butt end of this joke. <laughs> no. No, why have you said that? Sophistication. Across the nation. Grand Central Station. Across the nation. No, no, Beck, you're just you're deliberately subverting the rules in. You you think of one, it's your turn then. <laughs> um sublination. Ooh, across the nation. Right. Uh, okay, I got it. I got it. I get the point of the game. Giant crustacean. <laughs> Cross the station. <laughs> you guys must drink a lot when this game starts. <laughs> no, generally speaking, generally speaking, there is no alcohol involved. This is just what gets us through the day, both working in the same space. <laughs> There's a, there are a number a number of songs which I will be releasing on a compilation album, including um, <laughs> I Like Beans. That's one of our favourites. <laughs> uh, they're all original compositions. Another one called End- <laughs> Endlessly Swirling Rumours of Tea. That's another one. Oh, I like that. That's that sounds a, like a band that's, name. Yeah, that's about, that's about when you want a cuppa, but you want the other person to make the copper and you say, I've heard endlessly swirling rumours that tea is being made. So that became endlessly swirling rumours of tea. Um, it's a slightly surreal existence in lockdown, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I was actually just thinking there's a lot of toddler songs that I could give to you to add to your own. Oh, no, but I think there's a place for those, particularly if, you know, you want to take yourself out of yourself oh, during well. the working day. Yeah, if you want to completely lose your m- mind, yeah. 
there's one there's one that he loves right now the two-year-old <clears throat> he loves right now about apples and bananas and the lady that sings it um and he knows how to find this on youtube by himself i don't know how um but she changes you want the, to put a stop to that back i know i need to white well he doesn't use the youtube he uses a kitty one um um but she changes the sounds of banana to like banana and then banini and then I can't even remember them all, but it's like apples and paninis. And so then what happens is you wake up at 3 a.m. singing apples and paninis to yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got I've got that problem at the moment. It's not about apples and paninis. I wake, <laughs> when I wake up at 4.30 in the morning, as I appear to be doing at the moment, um, it's mostly prog rock, <laughs> 1970s British prog rock, which... If anybody knows prog rock, they know these concept albums. They go on for about two hours. <laughs> Shouldn't they just so pick you back just, to sleep? <laughs> yeah, I'm not just listening to the stuff. Like, so my Coldfields Tubular Bells is a great example of this because I'm going through side one and side two before I go back to sleep. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. We, we have gone all over the map on this episode. I think this is a very fitting episode for this wild and wacky time that we find ourselves in. I think we've done a fantastic and, quite frankly, robust academic analysis of the theory of securitization. And Across the nation! Stick- <laughs> you see? you fi- Finally, you've got the hang of it. <laughs> no, I think I think you did a very robust <laughs> demonstration <laughs> around the concept of securitization. I think that I, um, yes, I was very happy to contribute in, um, with my stories and, and to regale you all with a fear of um, rusty nails. <laughs> and actually, that's a very, very good public safety announcement to leave everybody on. Um, Rusty nails, be afraid, be very afraid. (laughs) We'll spread the fear, uncertainty and doubt around the rust. (laughs) Hey, when we come back again for episode 17, yeah, I think we should put a positive thought out there right now that we see the DEFCON levels going back where they need to be. We see things returning to, I think, a graduated normal. I don't think this is going to be a light flick switch of the normal. And I think, uh, I hope that, um, yeah, everyone that does listen, you know, to this now and then perhaps in the future and listening back, I hope that they remember and they they think about and take, you know, the experiences they had during this time and use that to, to help uh, mold how we go forward. I think that's a very sobering and sensible thought to leave on. But do you know what you made me think of? You made me think, oh, we should put ourselves in a time capsule for the future people. (laughs) No way. We don't want to expose them to us. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. You were supposed to get somebody a lot more responsible from the past, but actually we hopped in the time capsule and I I can only apologise. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god the couple of nutters talking about across uh, the nation games rusty nails global thermonuclear war and um yeah securitization but just think we could actually convince the future people that across the nation was an olympic sport 
everyone's playing it everyone will be playing it you know now Beck. now that we've put it on the podcast now that I've gone public with my intellectual property well of which to be fair I only own 50 percent and I haven't asked the other rights holders permission to be honest with you oh no Um, I am not re-recording this episode no true ah never mind what's the worst that could happen (laughs) that sounds like an ominous note to end on I think I think for the good of all mankind and womankind and small person kind, we should stop now. That sounds good to me. Take care all. Be safe. See you, folks. Bye.